Welcome to the Faith Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to a message from one of our many gatherings that we have throughout the week. For more information on service times, ways that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in our communities, and so much more, you can visit our website at faithchristianwi.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. What a great day, great worship time already, and I'm thrilled to be here with you. And it is exciting to be talking about the subject of the Bible. Of course, all preaching is bringing the Bible to life, but uh, especially when you get to focus on specific stories and bring them to life, it is a real privilege for us as preachers, and it's not less of a privilege for me today to be speaking to you about kings and prophets. This morning, we're going to be talking about a wonderful story in the Bible and a king and a prophet that made that story. The king and the prophet we're going to speak about this morning is the king Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. I have given this message a little title, which I hope will help us understand where we want to go with it a little bit, and that is... When the enemy comes calling. When your enemy comes calling. Would you join me this morning before we get any farther and let's pray and ask that the Holy Spirit of God would take these next moments and energize and and move in our hearts. Would you join me just now? Our Father, we thank you today for the privilege of being here. We thank you for the grace of the throne room where we are welcome to come. And though we're awed by you, we're told to boldly come. So we do. And we ask you now, help us, especially in these next moments, to hear what it is you have to say, to listen to your word, to be the the tablet upon which you can write. And we pray that you communicate with us above any ability that I have or don't have in these next moments to change us to be more like you. We ask your help in Jesus' name. If you can agree, say amen. Amen. Kings and prophets, Hezekiah and Isaiah. This morning as we begin, I have a a reflection that I want to share out of our our own lives. Uh, My wife and I, Doreen and I, have been married for 35 years. And uh, it's been a wonderful journey. And I, I never have to say that like there's a big but at the end of that, like, but it's been really hard. We've had a wonderful journey. It really has been. I do say this, however, let me just ask, how many of you feel like you married your opposite? Anybody feel like that? Yep, all right. Uh, That's good for me because all the bad things I have, she's really good at, so it's really good. But we're very opposite, and this story illustrates that to a very real way, and there's a reason for it. And what I'm about to say, when we think about the enemy come calling, uh, our attitude and our posture often determines the outcome of our situation. Our attitude and our posture often determines the outcome. So, you know, I, I could pick one story of, of dozens, but this is easy. When, when we go out to eat somewhere, uh, I'm the type of person that, you know, I, it takes me a while to figure out what I want to order, and once I get it, I just eat it, I'm thankful, I, you know, I, I don't care, I'm just, I love food, I'm going to eat it, it's all good. My wife's a little more careful about food and presentation. She's especially careful about coffee. 
So, you know, she'll get a cup of coffee at a restaurant. If it's not very good, she doesn't like it. She has an inward ability to sense how long that coffee has been in the pot. And so if it's been in the pot very long, she has no qualms about asking the waitress, would you mind making a fresh pot? This cup, you know, and, and I'm looking, and my son even more, just turning shades of red like, just drink the coffee. We don't need to make problems here in the restaurant. The poor girl's got enough to do without making, you know, so we're very different. I just would drink it. Never have a comment about it. And she's, well, would you mind making a fresh pot? Or I didn't get to drink this cup. Could you pour this out and give me some new stuff? She just loves coffee, all of that. Well, way back when, this is a better story, because I know how this works. Uh, way back when, it used to be the normal to pay with a check. I know that's really old. If you've never heard of what a check is, talk to your grandparents. Um, but you remember when that was the normal way to pay. So I remember a specific time we went out to eat after church or something and, and I didn't have any cash, didn't have a credit card, and my wife didn't either and we ate our meal and I look up on the counter, we don't take checks. So I'm like, we're going to have to wash dishes, what are we going to do? They don't take checks. And I said, honey, what are we going to do? They don't take checks at this place anymore. And she said, They'll take a check. I said, we don't take checks, exclamation point. They just said that, oh, they, they'll take a check. And I said, I'm going to make you a bet. I, she said, you go up there and uh, try. And we've done this so many times. So I'll go up there with a checkbook all ready to make it out. I'd like, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we don't take checks. Oh, okay, I thought so. And I went and sat back down. And she just goes up there with a check and said, oh, can I make it out for the chips too? And they look at her like, well, okay, sure. <laughs> and she, I mean, we used to make almost bets on this. And every single time, she'd get people to take checks where they have big signs, we don't take checks. And I don't know how she did it, except she just went up there big, bright, well, she's prettier than me too, so that helps. But big, bright, smiley face and go, oh, hi, you know, how are you today? This was a great meal here. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. And I go up there thinking, you know, don't worry, I can, I can mortgage my house if I have to. I will, I'm, not, I'm a pastor, I'm not trying to steal your money. And can we pay with a check? No. <laughs> same couple, same meal, different response. My point is this. I go into those scenarios thinking they don't take checks. I'm going to end up in jail here if I'm not careful. Uh, you know, this, I, what am I going to do? And so I go up there real hesitantly thinking, waiting for the worst, and man, it happened. And she goes into the situation, oh, of course they'll take a check. And they do. That's really just kind of a silly response, but it's, it's, it, it's a fun part of our life in marriage. So Anytime there's anything where there's an inclination in our life that it might not work out, Doreen, go talk to him. <laughs> and it works out. Anytime where you really want an excuse not to get something done, send me and they'll say, nope, we don't do that. I, I thought so. <laughs> Maybe that's a bit of an ex exaggeration, but this morning, King Hezekiah was one of, his, one of Judah's greatest kings. And he was about to experience a situation where an enemy was to come with great threat to his life. And what you do in a scenario where things look bleak, difficult, or you're confronted with something that you maybe thought you'd never had to deal with, how you respond 
The posture you take and the attitude you hold can make all the difference in the world. Let's read the story. Uh, we're going to go mostly today in 2 Kings chapter 18, 19, and 20. Uh, we're not going to read all three chapters, but we are going to read some parts of this amazing story. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. From the first verse of 18. Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hosea's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, that's notable, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, he smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles, he broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Some of you remember that history. Uh, because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commandments the Lord gave Moses. So the Lord was with him. Remember that. The Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. He revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay him tribute. He also conquered the Philistines as far distant as Gaza and its territory, from their smallest outpost to their largest walled city. We'll stop there. The commentary of King Hezekiah is favorable. He was a person who wanted to do what was right. In about 60 seconds, let me give you a rehearsal of how we got to King Hezekiah. On Wednesday nights, we're trying to continue this series with a little different augmentation of it. And we spoke on Wednesday about how Israel, the kingdom, divided. Uh, King Solomon's reign, King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, oversaw to his sadness the division of the kingdom of Israel into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Israel started their kingdom by establishing idolatry and telling people that they need not go to Jerusalem and the king made them golden calves and said these are your gods. Israel never completely overcame that spiritual aside. Judah however remained uh, kept the faithful and true form of worship. Israel had a succession of kings some of them better than others, but all of them bad in the ways that mattered most. Judah had an interesting array of kings. Good kings, not so good kings, and bad kings. Hezekiah, we're fast forwarding through a quite a bit of history to get to King Hezekiah. This morning in our second service, we're going to have a baby dedication where families will be presenting their children and their own lives to dedicate them to God. And Hezekiah's end of story has a great application for that. Hezekiah came to be the king of Judah after a, quite a succession of kings. Some of them were bad. When it said he tore down the, the shrines and the sacred pillars and the Asherah pole, these were all horrific, idolatrous, immoral practices set up in the land with the permission of the other kings that came before him. So when Hezekiah takes office, he says, not for me. We maybe had bad kings before, but I want to honor God and I want to do the right thing. And he did. 
just as we read about right here. And not only did he do the right thing, it said the Lord was with him. And to a large degree, he prospered and succeeded as he conquered the, the king. The king of Assyria was a wicked, oppressive king that was trying to build an empire and wipe out Israel and Judah. And Hezekiah said, no, I'm not paying you tribute. I'm not going to be subject to you. And, and he did a lot of wonderful things. And it said the Lord was with him, but... Hezekiah was not to be without challenges. And what I want us to see today is because you do the right thing, because the Lord is with you, does not necessarily mean that you will be without challenges, problems, or that your enemies will never come calling. I, Hezekiah was about to experience the greatest challenge of his life. The king of Assyria at this time, uh, decided that he was going to build the momentum of his empire. The king of, of Israel, the northern tribes, had already wandered so far from God that the king of Assyria came and destroyed their nation. And he carried away the captives from Samaria. And it was during the time of Hezekiah that Samaria fell to the king of Assyria. And it was these people deported to Assyria who later, some of which they say came back, that became the Samaritans of your Bible later on. Well, the Assyrian king, encouraged by his success to defeat Israel, now says, I'm going to attack Judah. And I'm going to wipe you out. I'm done with this little nation of God people. And he begins to move into the outer regions of Judah. And he takes some of the towns. And he takes some of the cities. And he comes to the city of Jerusalem where Hezekiah is king. Now mind you, by this time, he is the invading armor, arm, army that has had little resistance and great success. And he comes to Hezekiah and he lets him know, I'm going to destroy you. And Hezekiah finds himself in this spot. As a matter of fact, the king began to besiege the city and he sent his general and messenger to the city to threaten Hezekiah and to tell him that you better surrender, but even if you do, I'm going to wipe you out so it doesn't matter. And then he went away and then he sent him a letter. And I want you to think about this. We're done with the history part. I want you to think about it because we all have letters that come into our lives. We have letters of threat, letters of bad news, uh, a, a problem with our finances, uh, a doctor's diagnosis that we thought we'd never hear, someone letting us know that something happened in our family that we just don't want to deal with, uh, bad news letters, a, a threatening situ situation and a scenario that comes to your life. Hezekiah was doing the right thing and doing it for the right reason and he had everything going for him and now this wicked king sends this letter. And it wasn't an empty threat. He had conquered much of the land around him. 2 Kings 19. I want to read you this letter because remember the response and posture, our attitude and posture toward bad things that come to our life can often determine the outcome. Verse 9. Soon afterward, 
King Sennacherib received word that King Tikara of Ethiopia was leading an army to fight against him. Before leaving to meet the attack, leaving the siege on Jerusalem, he sent messengers back to Hezekiah in Jerusalem with this message. Quote, this message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done to whomever, wherever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. What should you, why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them? Such nations as Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? My predecessors destroyed them all. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the kings of Sepharvam, Hina, and Ivah? The letter goes on with more. But it was a letter of threat. It was followed up with all kinds of circumstances. When King Hezekiah looked out at his land beyond the city, he saw Assyrian soldiers and his own people held in bondage. And now he has a report, a letter, saying, I'm going to destroy you. And, you know, the reason I use the phrase, when the enemy comes calling, we do realize all of us have problems in life. And those problems are kind of a combination, a blend of uh, some of our own things that we do that aren't so wise, that cause us problems. Some of those problems are because people can just be people. But there are scenarios where there is an enemy to humanity called, we call the devil. And this letter has all of that written all over it. It wasn't just a letter saying, I'm going to destroy you, you better surrender. It was a uh, a very interesting backdoor way to attack Hezekiah. Do you really think your God's going to save you? Don't be deceived by your religion. Don't you realize that all nations have gods? Everybody prays. All the other kingdoms that we conquered, they all prayed. They all had their gods. They all made their offerings. They all did their thing. None of them delivered. Later, in the letter or in his dialogue he said don't you realize that God himself spoke to me and said go attack Hezekiah you better surrender now to me that has all the earmarks of a real spiritual attack it wasn't just an army this guy knew how to manipulate the mind of a God-fearing person and you and I if you've ever gotten one of these letters now I know you've got not gotten the military one but if you've ever set yourself up to do the right thing, you decide you're going to take this step for God. You're going to lead your family in a way that is the right way. You're going to do the right thing. And you take some steps forward and everything seems to just come against you at one time. And what goes through your mind? This God thing's not going to work. You know, everybody's tried this before. Remember when you prayed about that? Did that happen? And all of this flood of thoughts goes through your mind. All of us have had those experiences probably in some form or another. But the question is, what will we do about it? And what did Hezekiah do? Well, I have a, a, a thought before the thought. In 2 Kings 18, 36, 
when the general was making this threat and reading these letters to the soldiers, Hezekiah had a very brilliant tactic. He said, whatever you do, do not answer him. Don't speak to him. Do not get in an argument with the Assyrian general. Don't say, well, we're going to trust in God because he's prepared for that argument. He's going to mock your God. He said, whatever you do, do not speak. So while the general was reading the letter and mocking the Israel and mocking God, the soldiers and the people stood silent. Let me say this. When you're facing a situation and you know that there's a spiritual element to the struggle that you're in, don't get in an argument with your enemy. Don't get in an argument with the physical person or the situation that's bringing that bad news. Smile and realize that there is a time and a place for me to take this problem and bring it to God. And only God can answer it, so therefore I'm going to trust him. How do you think an argument might have went? Well, listen, we're God's people. And he would have said, but Israel was God's people. What about them? Didn't work out so well for them, did it? It's not going to work out so well for you. So it wasn't a problem that was going to be solved by a religious argument. And you and I all have scenarios in our lives where our problems don't get fixed with a religious argument. Have you found that to be true? What do you do next? He said, don't answer him. What Hezekiah did is he took this letter and he took it before God. In his case, he did it literally. Let's read 2 Kings 19. 14 is the verse we'll start at. It said, after Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, what did he do? He went up to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. He took the letter. Didn't answer it. Told his people not to answer it. Don't get in an argument and said, God, here it is. This is your letter. This is a letter I've received. And he brought it to God. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib, that was the king. Listen to his words of defiance against the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations. And they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. Only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. I just want to tell you an encouragement. When you receive one of these letters, maybe it's not a physical letter, maybe it's an email, maybe it's an IRS notice, maybe it's a, maybe it's a bill, maybe it's a doctor's diagnosis that it just, I don't care what it is. 
I encourage you before you start arguing with the people, before you start a religious battle in your head, to take that enemy's threat and do what Hezekiah did, to bring it to God. To find a way to get that situation to God and say, God, this is this. It's true. And they're right. But you know what Hezekiah was really saying? He's saying, God, here's the letter of threat. But I think you also have a letter for me. You've got a letter of promises. And Hezekiah decided, not only, God, am I going to show you the threat, I'm going to take a look at what you have to say in promises. And the good news for us, Christian, is when you get one of these letters in your life, you ought to take that letter and you ought to lay it right down on the top of your Bible. And you can say, God, I've got a threatening letter here and it's really true. It looks bad and it may not look like it's going to get fixed. But when I open this book, thank God, there are promises in this book that are powerful, stronger, and more reliable than every threat of en and every enemy I might face it might seem like my family is going to go down the tubes it might seem like we'll never make it out of this mess it might be true that there is no medical solution for my situation but thank God there is a God in heaven can you say amen and Isaiah Hezekiah said God you are a great God you're the God of all the kingdoms of the earth of course these other gods couldn't deliver them they were nothing but wood and stone but you're the creator God and it doesn't matter how hopeless the letter is the book of promise is far more hopeful and it will determine your posture what you believe the attitude you take the posture you take when you get one of these bad letters will determine your outcome if you get a letter from the king of Assyria and you threaten you're threatened and shaking and you're thinking oh god what are we going to do where are you why did you let this happen and then you argue with people say, well, I don't know this and that. And the other thing, you'll end up mad at God and not experiencing his answer. You'll be like me. See, they don't take checks. Told you so. <laughs> or you can say, God, this letter's true. Of course you're going to get wiped out. Of course you can't survive what I've got. Of course it looks like we're going to go under the tube. Absolute truth. But God... Thank you that you have the final word. That the king of Assyria and the threats that I face are not the final word. And lay that letter before God and then open up your Bible and start reading what do you have to say, God? What do you have to say about my physical condition? That you really are a healer, Jesus. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and God, John and you take all the instances of Jesus healing the sick and cut them out with your scissors, you're going to have pretty narrow gospels. And if you find all the places in the Bible where you take out the miraculous hand of God, you're going to have a small Bible. What am I saying? there is a God he is the almighty God we all know that that is the very basis of our belief as a Christian that there is a God we believe in God well if there is a God then we ought to believe that that God is more powerful than anything else we can see or know and if we believe that then don't go home with the king of Assyria's letter in your pocket and pull it out every five minutes to meditate on it rather go home get your Bible lay the letter before God and say God this is true it's just not the whole truth because you are God and I believe you can do miracles and that's what the king of Hezekiah did with the king of Assyria's letter 
and he brought it before God. And God answered. And the prophet Isaiah, one of our favorite prophets in the Bible, comes back to the king with a great word and said, don't be afraid of this king of Assyria. I am God. I'll deliver you from his hand. You know what I really like about that? Most people might not ever get to the place of that prophecy because they'd have been so afraid, so discouraged, they'd have ran from God. And the thing is, God had a plan all along. Hezekiah wasn't being punished for something he did wrong. It was just the working of events on a fallen planet Earth that made this happen. And just because something bad happens to you doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It just happens because we're in a darkened world. But you can choose your posture. You can choose your attitude. And you can take the letter of, of threat to your life and bring it to God. And when you do, listen for his response. And the prophet Isaiah said, don't be afraid of the king of Assyria. I can handle the king of Assyria. And he prayed and dedicated himself to God. And by morning, the, the soldiers of Assyria had been smitten by God and were gone. By morning. And what looked like the end of his life became the beginning of his life. What looked like a hopeless scenario where the nation was going to be gone turned into a miracle that they look, could look back on. And don't you realize now that all the other nations hear these stories? They hear about the king of Assyria, the, the empire of the world goes to attack little Judah and gets smitten by an unseen force and their soldiers are dead in the morning. You don't think they hear about that? Oh, sure they hear about that. How did that happen? Because he put his trust in God. So when the enemy comes calling in your life, Remember, the posture you have, the attitude you have, the posture you take can determine your outcome. Don't get in an argument with your enemy. Don't get in an argument with the messenger of the enemy. Take the letter to God and bring it to him and then get a hold of his letter and hold to his promise. He will help us. King Hezekiah was to have a couple of more interesting trials and uh, I just want to share one of them. And uh, it's found in 2 Kings chapter 20. It said in uh, verse number 1, it said about that time Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, went to visit him. Now this is, he's familiar with Isaiah. He gave the king this message. Get ready. This is not what you want the prophet to tell you. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. I always tell people, you know, this is probably not a good word for a hospital visit if you're a pastor. <laughs> I'm here with a message from the Lord. Get your things in order. This, it's over for you. You're going to die. Well, it, it didn't end that way, but look at verse 2. This is really an important scenario of his life. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall, which meant he was good at this. He knew what it was like to get a threatening report and say, I'm not going to plead with Isaiah. I'm going to go to God. He turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Verse 3. Remember, O Lord, how I've always been faithful to you. 
I've served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And he broke down and wept bitterly. Verse 4. Now, I, well, I'll save it, but verse 4. Before Isaiah left the middle courtyard, Isaiah came to deliver the bad news. Before he left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back. Everyone say, go back. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. And I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Don't you just love this? This represents the heart of that king. The heart of that king knew exactly what to do with bad news. Whether the news came from the prophet or the king of Assyria, he had enough faith in the love and compassion of God his father to say, I'm going to pour it all out to you, God. I did the right thing. I served you with all my heart. A lot of these other kings set up these stupid idol poles and, and did all this bad immorality and I did my best to get rid of it, God. I'm trying to serve you and now my life is going to be over. Prophet Isaiah delivered the message. He's walking. God said, stop. Yes, sir. Go back. Okay. Got a new message. What? Tell him he's going to live. Tell him I've heard his prayer and I've seen his tears. Tell him I'm going to, he'll be worshiping in three days in the temple and tell him I'm going to destroy his enemies and I'm going to give him 15 more years to his life. Hezekiah knew how to throw himself into the mercy of God. And you and I need to learn that. We need to realize that don't just take the first hint of bad news and run out and hire a funeral director. Don't do it. I'm telling you right now, get yourself to God. Whether it's a threat from Assyria or whether it looks like things aren't going the right way, I know that God is mighty and merciful and you cannot find a time in the Bible where somebody came before God and said, God, I know I deserve this, but I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking you to do something great. You don't find one of those times where Jesus looks at them and said, how dare you? He said, really? Remember the woman that wasn't even a Jew and she wanted, uh, you know, her daughter to be well and, and, and Jesus said, it's not right to take the, the bread for the Israelis and give it to the dogs. And she said, even the dogs, even the puppies get the scraps from the table. And Jesus said, woman, your faith is great. You got your answer. Hezekiah knew how to get that answer. He knew how to throw himself upon the mercy of God. He knew when not to argue with the messenger of a bad word. He knew that even when, even when the prophet gave him a word, he knew that God himself was merciful and he could call upon him for help. And he did it. And he had a marvelous life. And he had a miracle in his deliverance from Assyria. And he had a miracle in his healing from the disease and God later asked him and said would you like a sign that I'm going to heal you he said I'll take a sign and he said would you like me to move time forward for an hour or would you like God me to move it backward and he said let's do backwards anybody can move time forward 
and the sundial in the courtyard, the sun shadow went back an hour of time. God just said, just to let you know what I can do. You'll read all these details in these stories. But there's one more story. And this story does not have as happy an ending as we would like. The continuation of the narrative of Hezekiah was like I said, all the nations around hear of these miracles. It's kind of like having a church in a small town, you know. I, I don't see myself as much, but, uh, you know, I was, uh, was in a parade, a Christmas parade. I volunteered to go and help hand out some stuff in our little Mostyn Christmas parade, and I'm handing out things to people I didn't even know, and someone said, hey, pastor, I saw you got a nice deer this year, and I thought, how do you know that I'm the pastor, that I hunt deer, and where in the world did you see it? I, whatever. Everybody heard about Hezekiah. And they all heard about the miracle. And they all heard about the healing that was supernatural. And the king of Babylon, another great rising empire, sent messengers and said, go and congratulate Hezekiah. This was a miracle. And the messengers came. We, we don't know what their intent was, and nor is there any implication of it. And the messengers came. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah welcomed them. And he said, well, let me show you the beauty of what God has done. And he showed him the temple and the furnishings. And he showed him his palace. And he showed him everything and said, look what God has done. Now, there are people that say, well, maybe he shouldn't have did that. I, I don't know whether he should have or shouldn't have. But the prophet Isaiah comes for another visit. And the prophet Isaiah comes back in and he said, King, who were these messengers? And what did they see? And Isaiah said, they came from the kingdom of Babylon and they, I showed them everything. You know, that we do it here. You know, somebody comes to church and a pastor that we know and say, hey, let me give you a tour. Let me show you. There's what we got in here. Here's so-and-so and you should meet this person. And I'm sure he did that. Then Isaiah said, here's the word of the Lord about this. 2 Kings 20, verse 16. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace... All the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Could we just fast forward through a little theology and get you to admit that this is not good news? Yep, got at least that. Babylon's going to come. Why? Because God sees the end from the beginning and there were a succession of sinful, wicked kings and practices and there were more to come. And God was going to use Babylon to, to literally cleanse the nation. But Hezekiah didn't know that. All he knew is here comes the prophet. Number three visit that we read about this morning. Last time he was here, he told me I'm going to die and not live. So what did he do? He threw himself to God. And he poured out his heart and said, God, no, please. God said, okay. You can live, right? Verse 19. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is, tell me what the next word is. Good. 
Does that strike you a little bit? Good. Babylon's going to come. It's going to destroy it. Going to take away everything. And your own kids... He's going to make them eunuchs and serve in his palace, learn their awful religion. Hezekiah said, you know what? It's good. Why would it be good? For the king was thinking, quote, at least there will be peace and security in my lifetime. From here it's speculation. From here we don't know. We have to only guess as to why he would say that. Because when the king of Assyria came, he had the same momentum or more than the king of Babylon. When the king of Assyria came and threatened the nation, Hezekiah could have said, well, the writing's on the wall. It's going to happen anyway. But he said, no, God, no. Please, God, no. And God said, okay, no. When the prophet came and said, you're sick, Isaiah, but don't think you're going to get better. Your life's going to end. Set your house in order. And Isaiah went back to God and said, please, God, no, not that. Please, God, no. And God said, no, you can live. And when the prophet Isaiah came and said, the future of your nation is going to be plundered. And all the young people will be taken away and your own kids will be gone. Please, God, no, please, not that, not my children, rather me. Did he? No. He said, good word let it be at least I'll have peace at least I'll have security I did my part I did my thing let these other people handle their own struggles let them have their own battles let them win their own fights my kids can have their own battle I don't know why it would be wrong to, to, to put the words in thoughts in his mind and heart. But, but I will say that there are some logical conclusions we can come to here. Is it possible that Hezekiah had battled long enough and thought, you know, I've, I'm kind of done with this battling thing. Every time I do something right, it seems like something bad happens and, and I got to go to God and I got to just pour my whole life out and just pour my guts out before God and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just tired of this. Was it that? I don't know. Was he just selfish? I, I hope not. But basically, he succumbed to the human disease of me, myself, and I. As long as I'm okay, we're okay. As long as I'll be at peace, it's a good thing. I can only speculate. But I would have to think that if he would have, in half of the sense, poured his heart out to God, there could have been a different outcome. I talked to a pastor once and said, you know, our church is probably going to close. We very few young people, but I'll tell you what, I was faithful to give the Lord to my generation and I'm happy about it. And I thought, that just can't be right. What about your kids? What about the other people's kids? What about Hezekiah's kids? Chapter 21, we're not going to read it. We've read a lot of scriptures here today. But 
Chapter 21, please go home and read it, says, when Hezekiah died, his son Manasseh began to reign. And for the next 12 or so verses, you will read the story of the most immoral, horrible, evil, wicked, deplorable king, some of the practices of which I can't even read without you plugging kids' ears. And he was the one that sinned enough where God said, I'm going to wipe you out. I can't, I can't allow you to live like this. He filled the city with innocent blood and said the streets were full of innocent blood, offered his own children as human sacrifices to pagan idols, set up worship of, of every detestable, immoral action and practice in the very temple of God where the Ark of the Covenant was. His own kid. Is it possible that Hezekiah should have said, God, not my kids, not that. You want to send me to Babylon? Go ahead. You want to destroy me? I'll take it. But have mercy on those kids. They say, well, it was just meant to be. Well, it sure seemed like him dying was meant to be. Sure seemed like Assyria was meant to be. What if he'd have pleaded for them? I hope you'll understand. I hope you'll understand what we do here in prayer. This morning in our next service, we're going to have a baby dedication. I don't know a good parent that doesn't want their children to have a better life than they'd had. Wouldn't you agree? Everybody does. So nobody's accusing anybody of an intention. But sometimes... We're a little more focused on giving them a better life physically and a little less concerned about them spiritually. I ask you to join us in praying for your kids, our kids, the kids of the Church of the United States, because we don't want Manassas. We want Hezekiahs, and God does too. Would you stand with me this morning? going to pray. I'm going to ask you to just bow your head. And I'm going to guess that even here today, there are probably some who could point in a second to the threatening letter in their life. You could say, here's what happened. Here's what we're facing. Here's what it looks like. I'm going to encourage you sometime this week, don't just rush and pray a quick, pray a quick prayer as you're driving and forget about it. Get that thing to God. Do what Hezekiah did and, and, and find a way for God to read it and then take his scripture as his promise and cleave to him. Maybe others find yourself in a scenario that doesn't look like it's going to turn around. I encourage you, turn your face to the wall like Hezekiah did and say, God, help. Show me what to do. And he will. And for all of us here today, I hope you'll join me in praying for the young people of our nation, especially of our nation's churches, that, that they won't go to Babylon, that they won't be turned into servants of atheism. That, and there are some bright signs beginning to happen, thank God, in our country. And people are finding Jesus again. Let's pray that that continues. Father, we ask you to help us today in all of these fronts.
We pray in the name of Jesus, Father, for those who are facing a threatening letter, that you would help them to bring it to God and to experience your help. We pray, Father, for those whose spiritual scenarios looks like it's going to have a devastating end. And I pray that you would help us to gather all of our strength and plead with you for deliverance. And Father, we pray for all of the children of all of your people all throughout this country. We pray as we hear stories of generations, we pray that instead of them turning away from God, they would turn to God. We pray, Father, that they would find you, that they would know you, and that you would raise up from this generation the greatest messengers of the gospel that our country has ever seen. We pray that you do it. And we ask that you turn away this tide and forecast of doom spiritually and raise up the bright hope of our future. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed today before you leave, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I want to take this moment to get right with God. I, I don't want to leave here hoping I'm okay. The way to do that is to surrender to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus. But you have to do it for yourself. If you're here today and you would say, I want to surrender to Jesus, I want to believe and trust in him, please pray for me. I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand right where you are just so we can pray for you. It's not to embarrass you. That's not the point. All right. Now, Lord, we thank you for our time here together, and we pray that you would use us for your glory and take these words today and bless us. We pray your blessing on everyone now in Jesus' name, and we all said. Amen. God bless you. You may be dismissed. If you want prayer for something, please come forward. We'll have people at the front that will be happy to pray for you. Perfect.